When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an abuse survivor named Veronica. And Veronica was in a controlling relationship with a jealous, raging abuser. It's a story of gaslighting, put-downs, sexual coercion, intimidation, shame, and the healing process. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. I am Brandon Chadwick, and with me today, we have Veronica. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Well, thank you for being here. And if you want to be a guest like Veronica is today, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our Guest Form page. And there you can read all of our instructions and either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our Guest Form and press the Submit button. And please do send it in the format that we ask for. And there is a content warning for this episode as we do discuss sexual assault in this episode, sexual coercion as well. We discuss physical abuse and suicidal ideation. So that is our content warning for this episode. And today you're going to hear Veronica's story and Veronica met her abuser while in high school. And I think this episode, her story is is important to tell. So to help people who are younger to maybe realize what might be going on at the time to uh, reach out and, and get help. So a really big thank you to uh, Veronica for, for being here with us today. And now I'm just going to get out of my way and your way. Veronica, the floor is now yours. Thank you. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to share. Um, I wanted to share about a relationship that I was in, and it was about 20 years ago. So I've been out of it for a long time, but it had a really long-term impact on me. It took me a really long time to get over and kind of come to terms with. So this was a relationship that started when I was a teenager and continued for about four years through the end of high school and then most of college. So I'll start by talking about uh, kind of my background before the relationship started. Uh, As a kid, I was really, really shy and I struggled a lot to um, like know how to relate to other kids. I had a hard time making friends. I always felt kind of like a social outcast. You know, my family, we weren't the typical family for the neighborhood. Um, Our politics were different from the other families. We didn't go to the same church. Uh, My dad was an immigrant, so he had like this funny accent. Like I always just felt like an outsider. And um, I was like this very, very nerdy kid who got made fun of a lot for um, maybe always being kind of the teacher's pet and getting good grades. You know, like I just, I just never could quite fit in and always felt like an outsider and got teased and ostracized a fair bit. So I had pretty low self-esteem. I had, yeah, just sort of issues fitting in. And I'd had some 
you know, situations where I'd maybe been interested in some boys, but those things had always gone pretty badly, <laughs> like a lot of rejection to where I just felt very um, alone. And so when I first met um, this guy, I was in a really vulnerable place. And did you have any beliefs about relationships at that point, uh, either based upon uh, religion or just kind of instilled by society or your parents or or what was going on around you? I think I had a very idealistic view of like what a relationship would be, that like a relationship would make me happy and it would be this sort of like perfect romance. Like I had this very unrealistic, romantic idea of what relationships would be. Um. I think maybe another thing that made me kind of vulnerable was that I did not have a very strong relationship with my parents. I didn't have the kind of relationship where I would go to them um, for help or if I was having problems. I'd had situations where I had had some like problems and tried to talk to my parents or maybe tried to get like help from them. And then instead of helping me, they would get angry with me. Like, why did you do this? How did you get yourself in this situation? And so um, I, I didn't have the kind of relationship where I felt I could trust my parents if I was in a difficult situation. So I didn't have that support. So one example of, uh, you know, maybe my parents not supporting me, there was a weird situation I had when I was 14, where I was at the gas station trying to buy some candy, because I was still a kid at 14, you know, and I was trying to buy some candy. And this guy approached me outside of the gas station and started trying to ask me my name and asked me if I had a boyfriend. And, you know, I didn't know who this guy was. It was just like some guy with a motorcycle. So I just kind of tried to, I didn't want to be rude. I didn't really know what to do. I was really um, a little freaked out. So I just went into the gas station to kind of get away from him and started browsing the candy bars. And he followed me in and kept trying to talk to me some more. And I sort of kept trying to like, I didn't want to be rude again. So I would just kind of try to like extricate myself and go to a different part of the store. And then finally, he actually like kissed me. He just came up to me and kissed me right in the middle of the gas station uh, area. And at this point, he'd already told me he was 21 years old. I was 14. He was a total stranger. The whole thing was very uncomfortable and confusing and upsetting. Um, and so I just like ran out of the store. I just ran, ran home basically. Um, and then I was telling a friend of mine about it and my mom overheard. And, you know, what I would hope now, now that I'm a parent, I would hope that I would, um, support my child in a situation like that. But my mom, I think maybe in her panic in a way, she didn't know what was going on. She got very angry with me. She said, you know, you have to promise you're never going to see him again. Like what is going on? And she sort of accused me of lying when I said I didn't know him. She just somehow got this idea in her head that her 14-year-old daughter was now dating a 21-year-old. Um, and she was really, really angry. And so, you know, what I learned from that was that if I was in a bad situation, I couldn't necessarily trust that there was anybody around who was going to help me. And looking back, I can totally see why she might have done that. Like, I think she was really worried about me and she reacted with anger because it was upsetting. Uh, but at the time, I didn't really understand that. At the time, I just thought, you know, I'm on my own, basically. So you mentioned that you had a friend. So tell us about this friend. Yeah. Um, so as I said, I I didn't have um I didn't have many very close friends growing up and I really um you know had a hard time making friends, but I had this one friend from the neighborhood and she was a year older than me and I really really idolized her. And I think particularly just because I did have such a hard time making friends and she accepted me that I was I just thought she was like the greatest person ever. Um 
Like I said, she was a year older, so she was always just way cooler than me. She was very popular. And so I just really looked up to her. So it was kind of a lopsided friendship. Um, it was with her being a year older, it was always like she was planning, you know, what we were doing when we would hang out. And I was sort of loyally uh, being the sidekick and following along. Um, but that really, you know, that friendship was for a very long time. We became friends when probably when I was like five and she was six and we were um, we were very inseparable. Um, but as we entered high school, her life started to get to go a little bit more off the rails. Um, she ended up doing drugs, um, you know, starting off with just drinking and maybe some pot. But then she eventually started um, doing meth which was uh, really difficult and confusing for me. Um, you know, it's scary stuff. And also at that point, I was finally starting to come out of my shell and not be so shy. So I was starting to make other friends in my classes. And she she got really angry about me making other friends. So like she, she had gotten used to having this friend who um, sort of always supported her and was always there. And you know, always kind of like agreed with whatever she wanted to do. And I was becoming more independent. And so we'd had this huge fight. We had a bunch of huge fights and eventually like our friendship just completely broke apart. And it was, it was really hard for me because I didn't, I, I am really loyal and I had invested a lot in like my idea of like us as having this great friendship. And it was scary also seeing her, um, get addicted to meth. <laughs> that was really bad. The whole thing was really, really bad. Um, and I was left, I was left quite shaken when that friendship ended. So at this time, you know, with the breakup of this friendship and other things going on and just being a teenager, you know, I was just really, I was really struggling. I, um, my self-esteem was terrible. I was confused. I had lost this very close friend. I ended up uh, also sometimes sneaking alcohol out of my parents' um, liquor cabinet I I had gotten really depressed. I remember, you know, sitting around sort of listening to um, a bunch of emo music and feeling very sorry for myself. And honestly, I, I was considering suicide at points. Like I was really, really in a bad, bad place and, and just didn't know what to do and felt very um, alone and lost. Um, and, you know, I eventually pulled out of that, but there was just, there was just a lot of pain and a lot of hurt and a lot of really just not knowing kind of how to be a person and how to how to make friends and how to be loved and just feeling very alone and sad. So I was I was really vulnerable. And then in your junior year of high school, you end up meeting the person that the story is about. So tell us what happened from here. So in my junior year of high school, uh, I met this guy. I had, I had found this sort of new friend group and they were really cool, um, kind of started getting to know some of these people in my junior year. So kind of coming out of this time where I had been through this really serious depression and some, some trauma of various kinds. And I met this group of people that were just really neat. Um, they were, they were all kind of like intellectual too. Like they were all kind of the kids who got good grades and, um, like to sit around and talk about, you know politics, that kind of thing that I thought was really cool. They were very, um, they just seemed like a lot more sophisticated than I was. So I was, I was really into this like friend group. I was really excited to kind of be getting accepted into this friend group. And so he was part of this group. So at first I didn't really know him. It was just sort of like part of this whole group of friends and we would all hang out. But there was one night that 
you know, everybody was like hanging out and talking and having a good time. And eventually various people had to leave. And I ended up just one-on-one talking with him. And we just started talking and the two of us just talked for like hours. We just talked and talked. Finally, we both had to go home. We had curfews, you know? So we went home, but then we like called on the phone. And I remember lying in bed with the phone, just like whispering, because, you know, I didn't want to get in trouble from my parents and just whispering and talking like, I don't know, until four or five in the morning. You know, it was just one of those things where it was, it was really intoxicating and amazing. It felt like I was just making this connection like I'd never made before. I mean, this is like teenage love, right? And um, we had all these things in common. We both were really into reading. Reading books had been a really big part of my life as a kid. I was really, um, I really loved books. I loved reading. I loved novels and he did too. And so we were comparing like different novels that we'd read and talking about books we'd read as children. And we just, we just connected. It just felt like we connected on this super deep level. And we just, you know, basically from that night on, like the next day, we just connected up again. It was like just more talking and we just spent every waking minute together after that. Um, it was, it was terribly romantic. Uh, we were basically seriously dating within a week. It was just, you know, immediate. Um, and I couldn't believe my luck. I mean, I just thought that I had, I had just lucked into finding this perfect soulmate. Um, and in particular, a lot of the things that I had felt like were things that people made fun of me for, those were things that he said he loved about me. And, you know, like, um, I got made fun of a lot for being sort of like a nerd, like getting good grades and liking to read. And he said that those things were amazing and things that he valued about me. So to have this kind of flip of before this, you thought these were the things that made you kind of a loser. And now it's like you're being told that they're beautiful and he values them about you. It it just it's hard to explain how like exciting this was and how much it felt like this was, you know, this was what was meant to be, and he was going to be my soulmate forever. So that whole that whole um, junior year, it was like you know the second half of the junior year maybe, and then the whole summer after that um, was just like this dream paradise kind of time is what it felt like, and we were together constantly. Uh, the next year was a little harder because he was a year older than me. And so the next year I was going to be a senior in high school and he was going to be starting college. And, um, you know, we were living in this um, town and he had gotten into a college that was about two hours away. So he was going to be going to this small um, college about two hours away and I was going to be still in high school. So we decided, well, we would have a long distance relationship, right? Like we had this whole plan worked out. And since it was a two hour drive away, I didn't have a car. He did have a car. And so he decided that he was going to drive back and forth every weekend to come visit me. And that was sort of simultaneously um, really exciting, but also a lot of pressure. Like on the one hand, it was really validating that he wanted to drive four hours every weekend just to be with me. Um, You know, like I just felt like I'd never been loved that much before. (laughs) On the other hand, it was a lot of pressure because if he was going to drive four hours, then obviously I was going to spend all of every weekend with him, right? Like it would be horrible of me to have him drive out and then me be too busy to spend time with him was kind of what it felt like. So there ended up being a lot of pressure that every single weekend when he came that I should drop everything else I was doing and clear my whole weekend for him. And we started to have a few arguments about this. 
Um, so these were some of our, like, our very first kind of arguments were about disagreements about this. I was also really worried that he was missing out on college life. Like I worried that him coming back every weekend meant that he was going to miss out on things and then he was going to maybe even be like sort of resentful or like that I was going to be interfering with his happiness and his ability to kind of get integrated into his college life. And so I was saying, you know, hey, you could stay at the college one weekend. Like maybe you want to stay there and like go to some college parties or something. And he just said, no, no, no. He like he couldn't. He had to be with me every weekend. It actually got to the point where his mom was really mad that he was coming home every weekend. His mom was really upset that, you know, she felt like she was paying all this money for him to go to college and he wasn't even taking advantage of it. He was, you know, driving back every weekend to hang out with his high school girlfriend. And so she told him he wasn't allowed to come back. And he still said, no, I have to, like, I can't be away from you for more than a week. And so he would come back and just sleep in his car so that his mom wouldn't know that he was coming. And so there ended up starting to be some stress around there. But it was kind of easy to brush off because it was temporary. It was just, um, it was just, you know, one year. And then after that year was over, then we wouldn't have this problem anymore. So I kind of just let it go because it just seemed like it wasn't something that I needed to keep fighting about. And also, like, this is in the movie sense, like if this was a movie, romantic, you know, this guy's making all of these uh, efforts to come and see you and, and doing all of those things. So for a lot of people, especially a kid, even though you are saying, hey, you should stay there here, here and there and stay up at school, as you said earlier, you felt it was intoxicating and here's this person that really likes you. And for someone who is coming from, you know, this bullying background here and there throughout school, uh, lower self-esteem in a lot of ways, this person is seeing you in a way that you've always wanted to be seen so it's easier to to brush off at this point because, you know, you both still have the excuse or at least he has an excuse in a, in a way here. It's like he's a kid, you know, we don't really know where this is going to go. This might be just this puppy love that's gone too far. But for you, this is the starting of like his uh, obsession in being obsessed and in controlling situations. Exactly, exactly. And yeah, you don't want to, I mean, I certainly didn't want to complain that like he loved me too much, right? Like that's, it's like, no, this is great. This should be good. Um, and honestly, if the relationship after this hadn't started to get worse, I might not even look back on this as a red flag. It's only now knowing what it turned into that I look back and see that as, you know, the first of many problems. And we were also planning at this time. I mean, we were we we thought we were so grown up and we were making these plans that we were going to be together forever. Like we had this whole plan worked out that I was going to go to the same college as him. So that was part of the plan. I had to get into that college, too, which was not that easy. But I was going to go to the same college as him. I was going to work out a plan where I would graduate in three years so that then he and I could graduate together at the same time. And then we were going to get married and then we were going to go off and have our fabulous lives together. So this this was the plan that we had discussed and that was going to happen. Um, so we, we had gotten really serious for how how young we were. But we I think 
we had talked a lot and we had sort of convinced ourselves that we were sort of like more mature than the typical teenagers. Um, and so that this all like made sense that, you know, this wasn't going to just be a, a high school romance. This was going to be marriage, life, everything. And luckily I did get into that same college. And so, you know, the plan, the plan started to go. <laughs> so the plan started to go, you got into that college, but then things, I guess, started to get worse. So take us from here. Yeah. So we got, you know, I got into that college. I moved up there as well. So now we're both living in the dorms that year. And um, I, I think one of the things that I think about sometimes was that he had this very strong idea of what was an image of a good relationship. And it was really important to him that we project that image out. And so a lot of the problems that started came about because of trying to like uphold this image of an ideal or a perfect relationship. Um, rather than actually having a good relationship, we wanted to look like we had a good relationship, if that makes sense. Um, and so now that, you know, we're both away from home, we both feel like we're very grown up now. We're in college, we're over 18, we're adults. And we wanted to talk about what kinds of, you know, rules would a relationship have that would exemplify being a good relationship. And so we were talking about these things like, um, you know, you should not air your dirty laundry in public. So like, if you're going to have a disagreement with your partner, you shouldn't have it in front of others. You should wait until you're in private. And that seemed like a very reasonable rule to me. Like, I didn't want to have the kind of relationship where we would, you know, um, like I wanted to have, yeah, that, that just seemed like a reasonable kind of like rule to me. Another one had to do with um, not, not trash talking your partner to your friends or your family. And that also seemed reasonable to me. Like I'd seen people who would have a boyfriend, but then whenever they were with their friends would be complaining like, oh, he's such a loser and I'm so angry at this and that. And then I didn't want to be that kind of a person, right? So this idea that you shouldn't, if, if you have a problem with your partner, you should go directly to them. You shouldn't trash talk them to your friends. That made sense to me as well. Um, another rule had to do with if you were, um, if you were having an argument that it shouldn't be about just like your feelings. You should be able to like talk about it reasonably, like a grown up would, or like what our idea of what a grown up would. And so you should kind of like stay calm and use rational discussion and kind of talk things out. And so these were all things that we talked about and we agreed as a couple were important to us and were part of what we saw as having like an adult relationship. So we were really trying hard to be. I guess I would say sort of grown up and serious about our relationship. And then I think I also had some ideas that, you know, relationships take work is something I definitely heard. And also that you should be willing to compromise in a relationship that sometimes you don't always get what you want. That part of like what makes a happy relationship is being able to um, compromise with each other. And sometimes you might give in on things, you know, to keep the peace. And, and sometimes your partner might give, on, give in on things with you. You can't always get things exactly the way you want. So that's kind of the backdrop of, you know, the sorts of things that we were talking about as we were both now away from home at the first time and, and wanting to have this very serious relationship. Um, but at the same time, he was getting very possessive. So now that we were in the same place, he was expecting like that most of my attention and my time would be oriented towards him. <laughs> 
he didn't like it. For example, I was taking a photography class and I wanted to take, I like to do portraits of people. That had been one of my hobbies in high school is that I would take pictures of people. And I took this photography class and I wanted to take more pictures of people. And he did not like that at all. Um, and I can see why, like when you're taking photos of somebody, it's a little bit intimate in a way, like you're really looking at them. You're making like this eye contact with them. You're focusing on them. And he didn't like that. He sort of let me take pictures of like one of our friends who was a girl, but didn't want me to take pictures of anybody else. He he said, well, can't you just take pictures of like buildings or something? And um, and I didn't like taking pictures of buildings and I wasn't very good at taking pictures of that type. And I ended up just feeling like I couldn't take good pictures anymore. I ended up just dropping that hobby, which was sort of um, painful. Another sort of incident that happened that year was that uh, we took a class together uh, as part of our whole, like, we like to be together all the time kind of thing. We took a class together and I really loved this class. It was a great class. And on the first exam, we both got A's and I, I was so happy. You know, I remember thinking like I'd gone to college, I'd been a little scared about college and I hear I'd got this exam early on and I got like a 97 and I was so proud of myself and so, you know, kind of relieved that I was going to be doing okay. Um, and he got a 93, I think. I don't, these may not be the exact numbers, but they're close. And I remember walking back to our, um, to the dorm, kind of like skipping along, just kind of like chattering very happily because I was in this super, super good mood. And we get back to the dorm room and shut the door. And he sort of like, he just completely changes his whole demeanor. And in just this rage says, how could you do this to me? And I said, what, what did I do? And he's just like shouting at me, really just, I was in shock. I just had no idea that he was angry and he's, he's yelling and like, I can't believe you did this. How dare you? And I could not even understand what I had done. And then eventually he says, you got a better score than me on that exam. And I said, what? Like, I just, I mean, I just was like flabbergasted. Like, that's what you're angry about. We both did well. We should be happy. And he just was really pissed off and just kept saying, how could you do this? Didn't you even think about my feelings? He said, and, and I remember, I remember saying, I don't understand how this works. Like we can't always score exactly the same. And so what if you had done better than me? Like, would I be mad at you now? And he said, well, no, because it's different for girls. Like boys need to feel like they're the um, sort of superior one in a relationship. It's like really hurtful if they aren't. And so, but girls don't care about that. So like, if you, if I had scored better than you, you'd be fine with it. And I just remember thinking like, this is crazy. This is bullshit. And also like, I thought you liked that I was smart. I mean, there's just so much confusion, but also he was really angry. I'd never seen him that angry before. He was really shouting. He was like red in the face. And, and I remember thinking like, okay, his feelings are hurt, you know? And so having some empathy for him that like, his feelings are hurt because he did a little bit worse and and I loved him and I didn't want him to be sad. And I also remember thinking like, I want him to stop shouting because he's scaring me a little bit with how angry he is right now. And so kind of like all of my thoughts, I was, I was like very confused and I also just really wanted him to stop <laughs> and I wanted him to feel better. And so I ended up apologizing um, and even in the moment, I was like, this is not something I should apologize for. I should I should not apologize for getting a good grade on a test, right? That's dumb. 
But I thought, well, maybe it'll make him feel better. And maybe we can talk about it later when he's like calmed down. Um, so I kind of talked myself into apologizing just to like smooth over the situation and, and later felt a little ashamed of myself for apologizing for that. Like I felt like that was, I shouldn't have, um, but it just seemed like the best way to kind of make it stop. And, and the next exam, I, I purposefully like missed some questions so that it wouldn't happen again. Um, which I'm also a little ashamed to admit now. It's a little embarrassing that I did that, but I was just really trying to keep the peace. So already here in your first year of school, you have stopped doing the hobby that you like because of jealousy, guilt, the image of everything. He's trying to control this image of what he has in his mind. And these real sexist misogynistic beliefs start showing up here when it comes to what he believes his role is in life and how a man is supposed to be the leader of a home and you know you can't do better than him on a test and now you are also you know you're fawning already when it comes to this you're caretaking him you know this is wrong but you're just still just trying to Keep the peace and shame is involved. And then you start to like sabotage your own education to make him feel better in one way, but also to avoid, you know, a rage and avoid these things. And this is uh, early on that this is happening where this uh, control is, is already being established. And I'm sure at a very young age, yes, you know, as you said, this seems wrong, but it has to be very difficult to comprehend fully uh, because you've probably not seen anything like this before. Yeah, I was I just remember just being so confused and and just I I couldn't understand the level of anger. I had not really experienced anybody being that angry at me before in that way, like that vocally shouting and, and just in my face. And I, I just really didn't know what to do. Um, and I think I also sort of decided, well, I just won't take another class with him and then it'll be okay. You know, like, well, this is just a lesson that maybe I shouldn't put myself in situations where we're competing directly. And as long as I just do that, then everything will be fine. When he made the comment about, you know, that he should be smarter or something along those lines. How did you feel about that? Because that was part of the way he saw you. Were, was that like a huge issue? Something that you were just trying to wrap your brain around? Was that insulting at that point to hear that? It was definitely insulting. I definitely, I mean, I definitely thought of myself as a feminist at the time. I thought of myself as the, this very like empowered kind of young woman. And that was definitely not something I agreed with. But what I thought, I sort of made excuses for him. I thought, well, his feelings are hurt. And so he's saying things he doesn't mean because his feelings are hurt. So I was trying to be understanding that he was reacting emotionally and that once he had a chance to um, calm down and get over it, then he would sort of realize that what he said was wrong. Um, so I, I just made a lot of excuses based on 
I guess, trying to kind of have empathy for how he was feeling and that I could see that his feelings were hurt. And I, I was, I was allowing that to let me, uh, like let things go that I normally wouldn't let go. So eventually later that year, you decided to become a STEM major. So what happens from here? Yeah, I, I decided to become a physics major. I had a professor in a physics class tell me, you know, this is like, you should consider majoring in this. You're really good at it. And and it turned out I thought about it and I really liked it. So I became a physics major. And physics is a very male-dominated field still. Uh, and at the time, I was often the only girl in my classes. And this was an issue because he was getting to be more jealous also. He did not like me talking to other boys. And that was tricky when I'm in a class where it's like, um, you know, 15 boys and me in the class and they're doing things like they're forming study groups and they're getting together outside of class to work on the homework sets. And he didn't want me to go. He didn't want me to go hang out with all these boys because um, he was worried that um, that somehow, you know, one of them was going to steal me away. And then sometimes I would argue and argue and say, like, well, I really need to like it would help me. I would get better grades. If I could do this, sometimes he would kind of say, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Go ahead and go. But he would always want to know, like, well, who's going to be there and how many and, and when are you going to be back? And, and so um, I, was, I was having trouble just negotiating that. So, you know, there were, there were various sort of incidents like that the first year. The primary one was that big argument about the exams. That was the one where I saw the sort of rage for the first time. The rest of the year, it was more just arguments. Um, but in these arguments, I think we were starting to see these rules come out where they were, um, you know, like the rule about not arguing from your feelings, but arguing from rational discussion. What that rule really meant was that when we were having an argument that he would just like wear me down. So he would just keep arguing and arguing and arguing and arguing. And if at some point I would just say like, you know, I can't argue with you anymore, but I just feel like this is wrong. But then, well, we had a rule that if you can't win the argument on, you know, kind of the lawyer type of discussion, then you lose. Right. And so I was just kind of giving up after a while because he would just lawyer at me. <laughs> um, another argument we had, so we finally got through the end of that year. And, and, you know, like I said, a lot of that year was fine, but there were these incidents that would happen in the summer. We went back to our hometowns and we both needed to get jobs. We both needed money. Uh, and we had this like dream that we were going to get a job at a bookstore together. And then we could, you know, sort of gaze at each other soulfully over the books as we were stalking them or whatever. Sadly, that didn't work out. Like nobody was hiring. We just couldn't, we couldn't find jobs together. So I finally went down to the mall and put in a bunch of applications at other retail stores. And I got an offer at actually a store that I loved, a store I loved shopping at. Um, it was Michael's craft store. I was so excited about it. And so I went back and told him, I got a job offer at Michael's. This is going to be great. And he, it was another like surprise rage moment. He got really angry. You know, I came, I was all excited and happy. And he said, oh my God, how could you do this? We can't be apart that much. How could you just go out and do this without consulting with me first? You know, he was really, really pissed off. And he was saying things like, if you really loved me, you wouldn't be able to be away from me that much. You wouldn't even want to take this job because you wouldn't want to be away from me. And I was trying to tell him like, no, I do love you. Like, I love you more than anything, you know, but I also need money. And like, I'm excited about this job. 
and he he sort of convinced me that 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 made me a bad girlfriend and that I didn't I wasn't like being loving enough by taking this job. And I went back and I tried to quit the job and I was crying. And this poor manager who'd like met me that day, I show up, you know, later and I'm crying and saying like, I can't take this job. And she's just like, what is going on with this teenager? And so she said, what's the problem? And I said, I said, the hours are just too stressful. I just can't work that many hours, which I think is interesting because I didn't tell her the truth. Right. Like I covered for him by lying and saying that I was stressed out about the hours. Um, And so then she said, well, what if I just give you fewer hours? And I said, yeah, okay, I could do that. And so then I went back to him and I said, I talked to the manager and I'm still going to take the job, but I'm going to have fewer hours. So I won't have to be as away from you as much. And he he was happy with that. I think in a way, like by giving up something valuable to myself. It, it proved my love for him. And then he felt validated. Um, and so I had that job that summer. I'm, I'm glad I got to have the job. Uh, I wish I hadn't. I, yeah. <laughs> I wish I hadn't uh, been talked, talked into reducing the hours, um, but I, I'm glad I still got to have the job. But yeah, now he's interfering with my ability to make money, which I need. Um, so that was yeah, another thing that happened that year. Well, so the rest of that summer was fairly uneventful, but the next year we decided to move in together. So we moved into um, an apartment together. And at that point, the level of control became more. So prior to this, you know, we were in separate dorm rooms, then we were back in our hometown living at our different parents' houses. Um, Now we're living together. And so What that meant was like, we're together truly all the time now. We're together like 20 hours a day. We're sleeping in the same room. We're in the same house, like in the same apartment all the time. And so that meant he just had a lot more information about what I was doing from day to day. And so the the amount of like possessiveness and control just started to like amp way up really fast. So that second year is when things really got bad. Uh, That second year is when... Every time I left the apartment, he would want to know, where are you going? Who are you going to see? When are you going to be back? If I was back late, like if I, if I went to class and then after leaving class, I stayed and chatted with friends for like 20 minutes before going back to the apartment, then he was going to be there looking at his watch. Where have you been? What have you been doing? You know? Um, So it was because we were living together. He then had access to sort of like this full information about my schedule and, um, He just expected to um, know where I was at all times. Lots of third degrees about, you know, what boys I was talking to. He would say that, like, he didn't think I was going to cheat on him, but he thought I was easily manipulated and that being around all these boys, one of these boys was going to manipulate me and, like, somehow trick me into, uh, you know, (laughs) cheating on him somehow. Because I would always swear, like, obviously, I love you. I'm not going to cheat on you. Um, So that was his answer. Like, well, it's not that I don't trust you. It's that you're going to be manipulated. When you when he would say that, how did that make you feel? Did it make you feel stupid? Like, did he was he trying to make you feel stupid? I don't know if he was trying to make me feel stupid, but he did make me feel stupid. Um, I think that it started because I was trying I was still trying to argue back at this point, you know, so he would say, I don't want you to spend time with these boys. And I would say, you have nothing to worry about. You know how much I love you. You know, I'm dedicated to you. I promise. And so the argument back then is, well, 
but I can't trust these boys. So it was almost like he was just trying to find another way to, to, to counter what I was saying. You know, the, the arguments would just get so twisty and windy. But it was insulting to say like, well, you're weak and you're going to be sort of fooled into cheating on me somehow, or you're going to be pressured into it and you're not strong enough to withstand that pressure. Like it was definitely insulting um, and it was frustrating, but I just could never, it just felt like this never ending argument that we would have that I could never kind of get him to back off on. And I guess during this specific time where you're now living with him, and you kind of have every move being checked. Are you anxious at all, all the time? Or are, are you able to kind of just do your thing and, and still come back? No, I'm definitely starting to get very anxious. I mean, I'm feeling like I have to rush back. And if I don't, like if I end up, you know how when class ends and you end up standing around in the hallway, just talking about, you know, what just happened in class or, you know, what the homework is or whether or not you've started the homework yet or, you know, just like normal chit chat i would be i would you know do that and then i would look at my watch and realize oh no i'm late and then feel like i have to rush back and start you know replaying in my head ahead of time it's not really replaying more like pre-playing in my head you know what he's going to say and how angry he's going to be so i was definitely getting very anxious um he was also like i don't know i was just i was starting to like walk on eggshells because he was starting to get angry often in very unpredictable ways. So we would hang out with friends. We had a group of friends that we would hang out and we would play um, cards with a lot. We would play like poker and, and blackjack and cards and stuff. And, you know, it was a lot of fun. But like there was one time that we were doing that and then we went back to our apartment. Everything was fine and happy. I thought everything was fine. And then again, it was, you know, close the door and it's like Jekyll and Hyde. Suddenly he's just like shouting at me, like out of the blue. And it's clear that he's been angry about something the whole night, but he's been keeping it all bottled up, just waiting until we were alone to yell at me. And it was, you know, I can't believe how you were flirting. You're such a flirt. I can't trust you. You know, he's he's shouting all these things at me. He's calling me names. He's telling me that I'm like slutty. You know, and then it came out again, you know, I would be sort of trying to figure out what was going on. I would be sort of frantically trying to mollify him and try to say, like, I don't understand. What do you mean? What did I do? How can I make it better? And, you know, one time I remember really clearly it, it eventually came out. Oh, you were laughing too loud at somebody's jokes. So like this is now a new rule. I can't laugh too loud, you know, so I'm starting to modify my behavior to try to avoid all of these things. So like, don't laugh too much. Don't ever stay late and chit chat. Just rush back to the apartment as soon as you can. Um, another thing he got mad once because he said I contradicted him in public and that broke one of the rules. And upon more conversation, it came out that what he meant by that was he'd been telling a story about something that had happened to the two of us. And at some point I had jumped in and said like, oh yeah. And then remember also we had gone to this other place or something like that. You know how like when you're in a couple and one person's telling a story and the other person chimes in with details, I wasn't doing it to undermine him, but he felt like it made him look bad. Um, and so he was like really angry. And so it just felt like I was constantly in this minefield and I didn't know what was going to set him off. And so I had, I just, yeah, I just felt like I had no solid ground under me and it was, it was confusing and scary. Um, I learned, I, I feel like I learned when I was out with him anywhere 
to always be watching him for the signs of anger that I would see, you know, I would say something and then I would just see a look to the side and I would just know, oh shit, I just upset him somehow. I don't know how yet, but I just pissed him off and I don't know how, or I would see the jaw clench. And then I would spend the whole rest of the night just thinking, oh my God, he's mad. He's mad. I don't know what's going on. Oh my God. And then we would get back to the room where then the explosion would happen. Um, so I was, I was extremely anxious. <laughs> so I kind of just cut you off there to ask that question. So we were talking about the different types of arguments that were occurring and put downs, you know, that were starting to happen in your relationship and within your story, threats then began to occur. So what happens from here? He was starting to tell me that, you know, like a good girlfriend would do X, Y, Z instead of doing whatever it was I was doing. And so I was this bad girlfriend. He was starting to threaten me that he should leave me. So he would, he would get mad. And then he would say, you know, I can't believe you do these things. You're such a terrible girlfriend. I should really leave you. You know, I won't leave you because I love you, but I should, because you're so awful. And I would just beg him not to leave me. Like it's ironic because it probably would have been good for me if he'd left me. But in the moment, this was my whole life plan was that we were going to get married and this was the one person who was going to love me. And if he left, I was going to be alone forever is what my you know young teenage self thought. And so when he was making these threats, I would just instantly back down and just say like, I'm so sorry, please don't leave me. I promise I'll do better. And, uh, you know, so it was just, it had gone from like arguments that were rough to more like verbal abuse was really the shift from the first year to the second year. So he's really been throwing a lot of different manipulations at you. And now you're trying to control, you know, these rages by modifying your behavior. And he really just had you twisted all around here. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say that I was so just, I mean, it, it sounds ridiculous in some ways now. And especially, you know, a lot of my friends now, like I'm seen as a strong person now. And so people who know me now, 20 years later, are always kind of, when they hear about this, they're always sort of surprised. Like they'll say, well, I don't understand. Like, how did he, how did he control you? How did he get you to do all these things? Because they can't imagine me being that much under somebody else's control. But it was, it was so gradual and I was so wanting to be a good girlfriend and so wanting to be with him. and. And, and just, you know, wanting to like calm him. And, and it was almost hard to think because I was so anxious all the time. Like it made it harder to mentally process what was happening because the anxiety levels were so high that I just felt like my cognitive functioning was, was, uh, was affected. Well, you were constantly under threat and fear and you're in a constant hyper vigilance. So at this point, you know, your instinct and your survival instinct is what's kind of making you like push forward. It's hard to see outside of that survival instinct at that point, because you're just trying to get things to kind of flatline or plateau. So there's like no noise going on. So you're not thinking in, in the, the, the same ways, but also if we bring back those rules from earlier, you know, you're not allowed to talk to anyone you know, those rules are probably in your head here. If, if those rules weren't there, you might have reached out to someone at this point, but you know, 
you're being a good girlfriend and you're following these rules that were really set out at the beginning. Exactly. Yeah. And the rules, especially the rules about not sort of this, like, don't air your dirty laundry rule meant that I didn't, I didn't confide in anybody. I didn't talk to anybody about what was going on. I was just trying to figure it out on my own. And honestly, I just was not old enough or mature enough to figure it out on my own at that time. I, if I had reached out for help and maybe talked to somebody about what was going on, I could have had somebody say, Hey, you know, maybe he's not treating you right. But instead I was just really determined to kind of do this myself. (laughs) And I didn't have the tools to, to recognize what was happening. So I didn't, I, at that point was so beaten down. Like, you know, in the first year when we had that argument about the exam, I knew that he was wrong, but I was apologizing to try to smooth things over. But eventually I didn't know anymore that he was wrong. I really thought I was the one who kept screwing up. I felt like every time he got mad, it was like, I screwed up again. I, I can't do anything right. I'm so terrible. Like, it's almost like when you say things to smooth things over, when you apologize, eventually you believe it. You believe that you are the problem. And so I had really gotten myself into this frame of mind of why can't I be a better girlfriend? What is wrong with me? I'm trying so hard, but I really thought I was the problem um, because I was just terrible is what I thought, because that's what he was telling me, <laughs> you know, and and I believed it. Um, he also was kind of undermining my friendships. Like, well, first, he didn't like my friends a lot of the times when I did have friends. He would sort of complain that he felt like they didn't like him. And so I shouldn't hang out with them because they were like a bad influence. Um, he also told me once, he said, none of your friends really like you. They're just pretending to like you so they can get in your pants, which is a really hurtful thing to say to somebody um, and also was not true, uh, but definitely got into my head as well. So another big issue that you had was surrounding sex. So what happened here? So one problem we had was um, we would argue a lot about sex. He wanted to have sex more often than I wanted to. He wanted to have it basically every day. And I think sometimes that this is also part of his idea of the image of what is a good relationship in his mind. You know, having sex every day was proof that we had a good relationship. And so, by God, we were going to have sex every day, no matter what. And he actually, this is like weird, but he actually kept track on a calendar of how often we had sex. And so it would be really tough. If I didn't want to have sex, we would have an argument. And sometimes I didn't feel like having an argument. So sometimes I would just kind of go along with it just to avoid the argument. And more than that is that because he would keep track, we would have an argument that day that I didn't want to have sex. And then we would have an argument like again and again later because he would look back at the calendar and get himself worked up and say, oh, and then look, we didn't have sex, you know, three weeks ago on a Thursday and like be angry about it again. So it's kind of like I knew that there was going to be consequences. Anytime I didn't want to have sex, I was going to have to pay for it with an argument in the future and possibly multiple arguments in the future. Um, So that was really distressing. Like, and and basically I had gotten to the point where I was, um, I was just having sex because it was easier than arguing, which is not a great, it's not a fun way to have sex, right? It's really not okay. Um, And it was just really uncomfortable. He also would sort of like hypersexualize me in public. Like he liked me to dress in ways sometimes that were too risque for me that made me uncomfortable, but would kind of pressure me into it because he would say like how, how great it was and how great I looked and how much he liked it. Um, 
but then also get mad when people looked at me. So it felt like I kind of couldn't win on that. So it was just all very uncomfortable. Um, it, it sort of culminated in one like particularly bad incident where I had, you know, just for whatever reason, decided I didn't want to have sex that night and said, no, I don't want to, we're not going to. Um, and we argued, we argued about it. Um, and so finally, you know, I just stood my ground and said, no. And I went to sleep and I, I woke up later. He was having sex with me in my sleep, um, you know, which looking back is definitely sexual assault. At the time, I just um, it was confusing and it was upsetting. Although, interestingly, there was one time later that I told this to a therapist and the therapist said that sexual assault. And I was a little bit mad because I a little bit felt like that was actually not as bad as all of the times that. I agreed to have sex when I didn't want to, because at least that time I felt like I had tried to stand up for myself. But all those times that I went along with it, even though I didn't want to, were also kind of violating, but felt like I had been complicit in them. And that was really confusing and hard too. like to feel like, like, I don't know, it's just it's like a very confusing and difficult thing. And the other thing I would say is that after that, I kind of quit trying to say no. It was like, well, if this is what's going to happen, if I say no, then I guess I just won't say no anymore. So it was very, it was a very demoralizing time. It was hard. So things have been slowly escalating, but now you're recognizing them as, you know, being bad, especially at the end of your second year of college. So how are you functioning through all of this? Well, I mean, things were pretty, this is, you know, near the end of our um, second year of college. Things have gotten really bad at this point. I mean, we're just arguing all the time. I'm, I've basically just almost fully shut down. I'm, I'm no longer even like, I shouldn't even say we're arguing. We're not arguing anymore because I'm not arguing back. I'm just like, um, kind of just shutting down and crying all the time. Uh, so I was miserable. Um, but also still very much in this frame of mind of um, just wanting to sort of fix the relationship was what I wanted. Because again, I thought this was, I thought this was the person I was going to marry. This was my whole plan and nobody else was going to love me if he didn't was, was my idea. Um, but I was, it, it was bad. And he, you know, I, the, the arguments now were just him shouting and me crying basically. Uh, and I, I kind of think that it was getting more physical also, like he was throwing things. Um, he would sort of get in my face, back me up against the wall and grab me by my upper arms and, you know, just shouting in my face. Um, so he never hit me. Um, but I sometimes think that it was going there because it did escalate very quickly. Um, so there was a point here that I feel like was a real turning point. There was a guy in the same apartment complex who's um, shared a wall with our apartment. And so one day when my boyfriend was out, there's a knock on the door. And I open the door and it's this guy and I've talked to him before. He's a neighbor, so we know him. And he says, when I was a kid, my dad used to beat up my mom. And I think your boyfriend is abusing you. And I... I just said, you don't know what you're talking about. I love him more than anything. You're totally wrong. You know, you don't, you don't know what you're talking about. Leave. And he just kind of said, okay. And he left. Um, but it was the first time that anybody outside of the relationship had expressed any concern to me at all. It was the first kind of outside validation I'd gotten 
that maybe things weren't right. And so I couldn't say it to him in the moment, but I really, looking back, it just was this like enormously important moment to me that kind of allowed me to start thinking, you know what, this isn't okay. Like this really is not okay. And I had, I had lost, I'd lost so much trust in my own opinions that having that outside validation was really, really important. Um, so that felt like when I first started thinking, you know what, maybe I don't want to be with him anymore. Like that was the beginning of the end. Um, it was still hard. I remember feeling scared to think about leaving him because I was worried that he would come back from where he was and he would look at my face and he would know what I was thinking. I was scared that he would know that I was thinking bad thoughts about him and that he would be angry. And so I would have this thought like I should leave him. And then I would just think, oh, no, 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 you can't think that. No, 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 it'll be okay. You can fix it. Like I, like I would have these thoughts and then I would have like an immediate sort of panic about the thoughts. Um, and, and so it just made it hard to think things through. Another sort of uh, incident that happened that I sometimes look back on and think was a gift, this, this moment when he just said something really dumb. And, and even though I had gotten to this point where I was now believing all the crazy stuff he said, in this moment, I remember I just thought, no, that's not right. You know, this moment of clarity. So it was that I had been, um, I'd been absent from class. So I had to call a classmate and get the homework. And so I called up this classmate from my class. It was like the one person whose phone number I had and said, you know, hey, I had to miss class. Can you tell me what the assignment was? Yeah, okay, sure. It was like numbers 5, 12, and 19, whatever. Wrote that all down. It was a very short, very boring conversation. And I hung up the phone. And of course, my boyfriend's right there because we're together all the time. And, uh, and he said, who was that? Who were you talking to? What were you talking to him about? And I said, it's just Jonathan. And he said, will it be just Jonathan when he's fucking you? And I was like, oh my God, that is so crazy. It was so crazy because, I mean, there was nothing in that conversation that could be construed as anything at all. Also, Jonathan was gay and definitely not interested in having sex with me. Jonathan didn't even like me very much. Like, it was just this moment of like, how can you possibly have gotten jealous over such a minuscule conversation. And I, I just remember just sitting there just thinking, I don't understand what is happening, but this is crazy town. Um, and so it was it was a good thing for me to get to that point because I'd been so beaten down at that point that to finally have this moment where I was just like, no, I didn't do anything wrong here. Like this is not my fault. Um it 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 was good. It was good for me to have that moment. Um, so that was right at the end of the school year. And then um, the school year ended and we both moved back to our hometown again. So we both moved back to our parents' house. And then I think that was sort of the third thing that helped me get out of the relationship was getting some space. So, you know, I'd had this thing where this boy had come and said, hey, I think your boyfriend's abusing you. I'd had this moment where I was just like, what the heck is going on? And now I finally have a little bit of space away from him and I can think finally. Um, so, you know, he's at his mom's house and I'm at my parents' house. And uh, after thinking about it a little bit, I finally um, got up the courage to say, I don't think we should see each other anymore. And I truly in the moment felt I was, you know, 
I was setting myself up to just be a spinster with a bunch of cats for life. <laughs> like, but it just seemed like that was preferable to whatever we had going on. Like, I just could not do it anymore. His reaction when I told him that we weren't going to, um, that I didn't want to be with him anymore was, he said, I thought we were so happy. And I was like, you've been telling me for months that I'm a horrible girlfriend. You've been telling me how miserable you are. You've been telling me how lucky I am that you don't leave me and how like, you know, you can't believe that you put up with all my bullshit. And now you're going to say we're so happy. Like, I just could not comprehend this at all. Um, and and I, I think that was also one of the first times that I remember getting really angry. Like, oh, wait, you're not actually that unhappy all the time. You're just manipulating me. Like you're using all of this rage. Like I'm sitting here thinking that you're unhappy and I have to fix it somehow, which is not a great thing either. But in fact, you're just getting everything you want. You're, you are happy. <laughs> I'm miserable. It just, it, it just suddenly struck me how manipulated I had been um, in that moment. It was also really shocking how our friends reacted because all of our friends were saying like, oh my God, you guys are the perfect couple. We, you know, we thought you were going to be together forever. You guys are just perfect together. How could, how could you break up? And that was kind of a sign too, of how much all of this went on behind closed doors and how much that affected my ability to get help because nobody was seeing it because it was all so secret. That was part of why I had such a hard time understanding what was happening because I wasn't getting that like outside information. You know, the only person that was concerned about our relationship was the one who could hear through the wall what was being said behind closed doors. Um, and so that was um, that was tough, too. And his mom came and tried to get me to take him back, which is honestly sort of pathetic when you think about it. Um, yeah, his mom came over and said, like, you guys are meant to be together. You have this whole plan. How can you blow this plan up? Like, come on, you, you know. Uh, but I think I had been thinking about breaking up with him for so long and agonizing over it and spending so much time getting my courage up. Once it was done, it was done. I was not at all tempted to take him back. I was just fully 100% done. Uh, so it was just fully, fully over. So did he ever try to hoover you back? I mean, he did for like maybe a month or like a few weeks to a month. He he wanted me back and, and he would come over and try to talk me into it and try to tell me I didn't know what I was doing and look at what I was throwing away and all this kind of stuff. But um, again, it had been so hard for me to break up with him. And and maybe I just needed that time to process to get that strength up to do that, that once I had done it, you know, I wasn't I wasn't tempted. It, it wasn't it wasn't going to happen. So he gave up. And I guess in a way I'm lucky because I've heard other stories about people, um, you know, ending up in a situation with like stalking or ongoing trying to get the person back. But in this case, no, after less than a month, it was just fully over. And. With what happened to you, you know, you fell into this hole of abuse and you really were twisted all around. And, you know, from just everything about the situation, he, he really manipulated you to a point where it was un unrecognizable to, to yourself. So in the aftermath, how difficult was this to comprehend and then you know deal with and find your way through it because obviously you know, this happened a long time ago 
but this is still very impactful for you. Uh, you know, here you sharing your story today with everyone to help everyone. So, you know, what was this aftermath like? The aftermath was rough. I, um, I, looking back, I wish I'd gone to get therapy. I didn't. Instead, I just tried to muddle through and did not do it very well. Um, I still, I, I did not identify it as abusive at the time. And I still very much thought that everything was my fault. Um, and I really went off the rails. Like, I'm not proud of how I acted for a few years, at least after this relationship ended. Like, He'd called me a slut. It was sort of like, oh, you think I'm a slut? Okay, I'll show you. You know, so I slept around. I did a lot of drugs. I, I, I mean, I really like my life kind of fell apart for probably three years, maybe. Um, I did a lot of really risky things. The things that he had said, like, oh, none of your friends really like you. They're just pretending to like you. So I had a, I had a really hard time trusting that anybody actually liked me for me and just thinking, you know, like it, it just like the way to get affection and positive attention would be to sleep with somebody. Um, I couldn't, I couldn't really form like long-term bonds with people. I was doing a lot of like serial monogamy, I guess, you know, like dating somebody getting very serious and then like immediately breaking it off like over and over again. Um, so yeah, I also struggled with um, self-harm and I would say kind of flirted with an eating disorder. I mean, I was really just kind of a basket case in a lot of ways. I also would often sort of think like it was almost like I'd gotten so used to being abused that once he was gone, I had to abuse myself. You know, so I there was a lot of negative self-talk. There was a lot of me telling myself, like, you're just a worthless piece of crap. You can't do anything right. You know, I was really, really my, I mean, my self-esteem was bad before the relationship. It was far worse afterwards. You know, I, I also remember once, like once I sort of convinced myself that what I had done to him was really terrible because I had taken this perfectly nice boy and then allowed him to become a monster. How could I do that? You know, like, like somehow twisting it around that it was still all my fault. I spent a lot of time thinking about how everything was my fault and like, I don't know, coming up with very creative ways that things could be my fault. I also remember I would sometimes think, um, I would think I wish he had hit me. And it's like sort of for two reasons. Like one, one was if he had hit me, it wouldn't be so confusing, you know, cause this, like, I'd never heard of emotional abuse and hitting, I think would have been clearer. And I would tell myself if he had hit me, I would have just left. It would have been over right then. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what I would tell myself. But then sometimes I would think, I wish he'd hit me because I probably deserved it. You know, like I would think that I deserved to be hit. Um, so it was like I was I was continuing that abuse because I had gotten used to it in a way. Uh, and I think in a lot of ways, yeah, like the, the self-harm that I did um, was sort of continuing that abuse as well. And I didn't. I still wasn't talking to people about it. I still wasn't going to therapy. I wasn't, um, I just was, didn't have a very clear picture of what had happened. But, you know, eventually, <laughs> eventually I started to recover. I mean, I'm really happy now where I am. Like I'm 20 years out of it and I'm, su I'm such a different person now. I'm so happy with where I am now. And a lot of that was, you know, things eventually got so bad that I was really not not functioning very well. And I eventually had to go to therapy. Like my life was just completely falling apart. 
Uh, and so I went to therapy and it was funny because I went to therapy and I didn't talk about this at all. I went to therapy and I was talking about, you know, I'm depressed and I'm anxious and I'm not doing well in school and all these other things. And it was, you know, through multiple therapists. And then I think it was on like maybe my third therapist at one point, I said something about him and I'd been seeing her for more than a year at that point. And I said something about him and I was kind of upset. And she was like, what, what are you talking about? And I got really agitated in that, in that session. And she was just like, okay, this is a thing clearly. And she said, how about, let's not talk about it right now. Just go home, think about it. And next time we'll just devote the entire session to just you talking about this. And that'll be it. And that was the first time I like fully opened up about it. And it was like years later. Um, and so I talked with her about it. I told the whole story, much like I'm telling it to you right now. And she was the first one who said things to me like, you know, that was sexual assault. And like, that was abuse. And that wasn't fair how he treated you. And, um, and you know, it was it was sort of like the floodgates opened. I feel like that's when I started to really heal. Um, because I think I'd just been trying to like shove it down for a long time. And it turns out that doesn't work. Um, it turns out, you know, that really I had to, um, I had to really talk it out and process it before I could start to get better. So, you know, looking back, I, like I said, I am kind of ashamed at like some of the things that I did in the years afterwards. Uh, but I also look back and I can see that like I was struggling, you know, and yeah, they weren't great things, but I, I just was, uh, I was damaged and I needed to heal. Um, so I can, I can have a lot more like forgiveness for myself now and see like, well, that was all part of my healing process. And if you had any words of wisdom for everyone listening, what would they be? I would say that uh, being forgiving of yourself and um, in some ways, I would often think about the different parts of my personality that made me susceptible to this, like that I was that I was weak or that I was, um, you know, too, too nice somehow or, you know, just I would even after going to this therapist and starting on this process, I would still spend a lot of time blaming myself. And I think the real turning point for me came when I was able to look back and say, you know, there's nothing wrong with you. There's not that you're damaged somehow. It was that you got yourself in a situation that you didn't have the tools at the time to manage and you did the best you could. And to just acknowledge that and have forgiveness for yourself. That to me has been like the number one thing that has just really changed my whole outlook on life is to be able to forgive myself and accept what I went through and accept that I did the best that I could. Um, part of that has been I now have a child who is about the same age that I was when I first got into this relationship. And I look at that child and I can see that she is not an adult. And so I can see like, there's no way that I would expect her right now to have the kind of like sophistication and maturity to handle a situation like this. And so I'm a lot more forgiving of myself because I can see that I was just a kid then too. Um, I also, you know, the self-harm thing, like there's a lot of shame around self-harm also, I think. I mean, there's just like so much shame throughout this whole story for me. I have so much like shame and letting go of that shame has been a big thing. And one thing with the self-harm was that even when I um, stopped doing it, 
I would still like think about it when I would get into moments of like high stress or high anxiety, I would still have like thoughts or urges to hurt myself. And then I would get angry with myself and I would think, God, why are you doing that? Like, what is wrong with you? Like, that's not normal. Don't have those thoughts. And I would get angry at myself for having the thought of hurting myself. And when I instead just tried to say, you know what, you're going to have those thoughts sometimes like, oh, that's interesting. I just had that thought. That means that I'm having anxiety right now. That means I'm stressed out. You know, it's okay. I'm not going to do it. It's okay that I had the thought. It's just a sign that I'm under some stress. So just accepting that instead of getting mad at myself and just saying like, it's okay. Um, and then ironically, once I did that, I stopped having those thoughts. <laughs> like once I accepted that I was going to have those thoughts, I stopped having them. Whereas all those years of like saying, stop it, stop it, stop it. Don't have those thoughts. That doesn't work at all. Right. So just, it's like radical self-acceptance, I guess, is kind of my words of wisdom. And we're not done yet. Do you know why? No. Because there's one little footnote that I think that everyone should know. And that is that the person who, you know, told you that you were probably in an abusive relationship, that person ended up becoming a police officer on the Madison, Wisconsin police force. And yeah. it, it might it might have been their <laughs> destiny that they were going to eventually become a police officer or someone of something of that sort. Yeah, I went to a college reunion and he wasn't there, but people were asking like, oh, where's you know, where is this guy? And somebody said, oh, yeah, I know him. He's he's a sergeant. He's on the police force. And I said, oh, could you um, could I have his contact info? And they gave me his um, cell phone number, but I didn't want to. I didn't want to intrude on his life. You know, I hadn't really talked to him since that day. <laughs> and But what I did was I wrote him a letter. I wrote him a letter and I said, you know, thank you so much. Like you, from what you saw, what you did didn't have any effect. But from inside, it had a big effect and that you just never knew about. And so I thanked him and told him, you know, how important that moment had been to me. And then I put that Word document into a OneDrive or like a, a, sorry, a Dropbox folder. And I sent him a text message and just said, hey, I heard you're a police officer now. I wanted to thank you for when you came to talk to me. And so I wrote this letter and, you know, I don't have your email address. So here is a link to a Dropbox folder and there's no need to reply. And so he, he read it and he texted me back and he said, I'm really glad that I could have, you know, had a positive impact on you like that. I haven't contacted him again, but I, it just was really important to me to share um, for him to know that his words had had an effect. And today you told your story and you're going to have an effect on so many people's lives after today. And you just did a really great job of explaining your story and the nuances of everything that was going on. And you just really did a great job. And there was a lot of clarity in your story for people to see their own stories within in your story. And I really just can't thank you enough for, for being here with us today and just sharing everything. And, you know, um, you know, just a really big thanks for being here. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. Well, thank you once again, Veronica, for being here with us today. And if you want to be a guest like Veronica was today, please do go to NarcissistApocalypse.com 
There's a button at the top of the page that says guest form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our guest form page. There you can read all of our instructions and either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our guest form and press the submit button. And please do send it in the format that we ask for. And if you are someone that needs support, we here at Narcissist Apocalypse have a support group. So at NarcissistApocalypse.com, top of the page, there's a button that says support group. When you click on that button, it takes you to our very own safe social network. And inside, you'll see that we have Zoom meetings every Wednesday night, Thursday afternoons, and Saturday nights. We also have forum boards for you to post on to get the validation that you need from survivors just like you. It is a wonderful group of people on there, and you can share your experiences with all of them and make friends too. So if you need support, join our support group today. And if you need even more support, please do visit our friends at DomesticShelters.org. At DomesticShelters.org, they have articles and resources to help you make sense of what you are dealing with. They have every phone number, email address, and web address for shelters and agencies. No matter how big or small the town you're in, DomesticShelters.org has it there. It is a wonderful free resource and organization. So if you need extra support, please do visit DomesticShelters.org. And we have another friend of the show called Shelter Movers, and Shelter Movers can be found at sheltermovers.com. And Shelter Movers helps survivors, of course, of control transition to a better and safer life. It is a volunteer organization, a donor-supported charitable organization as well. It is currently only in Canada, but they are looking to expand into the United States. And what they do is they help coordinate moves for people who are getting out of course of control, they help you to safety and get all of your things out of your home into storage, and they can do this for your pets and livestock too. It is a wonderful organization. So if you need help from them or just want to donate to them, please do go to sheltermovers.com. And that is it for today's survivor story. So for myself and Veronica, we hope you have a good night. <laughs>